This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hi, and welcome to Discovery, where we highlight podcasts created by journalism students at Seneca College. This week, how a secret led to murder, how a woman turned her childhood struggles to her advantage, and Canada qualifies for the World Cup for the first time in 36 years. First up, the crossbow killer. When the police arrived at Lawndale Road in Scarborough on the 25th of August, 2016, they found Brett Ryan sitting on the front porch of his mother's house, defeated and covered in blood. He was calmly sipping water from a water bottle, and as the police approached him, he laid out the details of that gruesome day. What he said was, They're dead in the garage. Crossbow to the head. It was me. How did we get to this point? I'm Andrew Kitchen, and I'm with co-host Farouk Edu. Hi. And Gurleen Batar. Hello. Welcome to Six Murders. On this podcast, we will be exploring six murders... Over six weeks. All of which took place in the six. These are some of Toronto's highest profile and most notorious cases. Buckle up, let's dive in. Let's go back and figure out who Brett Ryan was. He grew up in Toronto as one of four brothers. His friends and neighbors described him to be very outgoing, loving, and caring. He liked to volunteer, he was a referee for little leagues, he was an active part of the community and had a good reputation. He was very conscious about his public image. His self-esteem was based on what people thought about him. Things started going south when he enrolled at the University of Toronto after high school. It was too much for him and he dropped out. He went on to work as a self-employed house painter. It didn't seem like enough for Brett. Even though he was working and trying to make a living, he wasn't thrilled about the fact that he was still living with his parents in his 20s. At this point, Brett started racking up some serious debt. So now, like any other rational human being would do, Brett decided to solve his debt problems by robbing banks. And here's the thing, he was actually good at it. His first bank was the CIBC at 371 Old Kingston Road, just an 8 minute drive from home. On October 20th, 2007, he walked, or more accurately, limped into the bank, covered in bandages that hid his face and his arm in a sling. He handed the teller a note demanding cash and he made off with just over $1,100. With the success of the robbery came a rush and the need for more. From there, his costumes and his antics became more elaborate. He developed a professional costume as an elderly man, including a very convincing beard, which earned him the nickname, The Fake Beard Bandit, as he robbed 12 more banks over the next 8 months. During his crime spree, Ryan pocketed a total of over $28,000. But the Toronto police soon caught on to his intricate outfits. They determined that there was only one professional outlet store in Toronto that sold the products needed for Ryan's get-ups. The detectives went back through six months of receipts and found only one customer who had purchased all the required elements of the costume. They started following Brett Ryan. In June 2008, they watched the young man enter his Ford F-150. And then they watched an elderly, bearded man exit the vehicle, then shuffle his way into a TD bank on Kingston Road, not far from Ryan's home. 
the jig was up. But Ryan received a fairly light sentence of only five years. Numerous family members and friends wrote letters of reference, and the judge noted he had no criminal history. Ryan was apparently a model inmate, and because of the good behavior, three years and nine months later, he was released. But on the outside, life wasn't easy. He had difficulty finding work due to his new reputation as the fake beard bandit. He even tried to return to his previous house painting job, but no one would let them into their homes. Brett and his family decided to move into a smaller house in Scarborough to avoid the neighborhood gossip. Brett was now approaching his 30s. He re-enrolled at the University of Toronto with the intention of studying biophysics and to make money, he started working some retail jobs. Things started looking up for Brett, especially when meeting the love of his life, Kristen Baxter, in September 2011. He was set up by a friend on a blind date and was impressed that she had her life together. It was the sort of life that Brett aspired to have, a normal and stable one. Kristen worked as a physiotherapist and was known to be a fun-loving, outdoorsy type of girl who also loved to travel. Brett and Kristen dated for two years before he moved into Kristen's apartment. One year later, Brett proposed to Kristen, and even though she knew about his bank-robbing past, for some reason, she said yes. But Brett had mounting debts and secrets. He had taken out a loan to pay for the engagement ring. He also had to find a way to pay for the wedding. He had secretly dropped out of university again, and nobody knew about it. He was excited when he finally got an IT job, but the hiring company rescinded the offer the very next day when they found out about his fake beard bandit history. See, Brett lied to everyone around him and pretended that he was still going to school and working at the IT job. He would put on work clothes, leave the house, and then he would just kill time until coming home in the evening. Finally, with the wedding just around the corner, Brett confessed to the most trusted and most supportive person in his life, his mother. He told her about his dire financial situation, his job loss, and dropping out of school. That's when Brett Ryan's mother, Sue, gave him an ultimatum. She said, come clean to your fiance, or she would tell her. Brett couldn't risk losing Kristen, so his solution to this ultimatum was simple. He decided to kill his mother. Due to his criminal history, he knew he wouldn't be able to purchase a gun, so he bought a youth crossbow, which was easy to obtain. It only cost about 150 bucks, and he planted it in his mother's garage. Brett knew he had to make it look like he never left his apartment on the day of the murder. Brett rigged up some contraptions involving ropes, spoons, oscillating fans, and his laptop, which would click on random YouTube videos without him being there. This was some real Home Alone level stuff. He also rigged his laptop to send emails automatically. This false digital footprint was going to be his alibi. He knew all the cameras in the apartment building and knew how to avoid them. He walked down 14 flights of stairs to get to the back exit of the building and wiggled his way past the cameras. When Brett first arrived at his mother's house, he attempted to convince her to help hide his deceit from Kristen. But Sue wasn't having any of it. The arguments escalated quickly and she called Brett's older brother Chris for help. This provoked Brett to run to the garage and get the crossbow he had stashed, but he couldn't load the crossbow quickly enough. In a state of urgency and panic, he used the bolts to stab Sue, his own mother, 
in the cheek and ear and wrestled her to the ground. He then found a nylon rope nearby and used it to strangle her till she was no more. Shortly after, Chris finally arrived and was welcomed with a deadly silence. There was a click. The crossbow fired. The bolt pierced the back of Chris's skull and emerged from his mouth. Brett moved both bodies to the garage and covered them with a tarp. The garage at this point was a lake of blood. He was about to leave the property when another one of his brothers, AJ, arrived. See, Brett wasn't expecting this. He didn't have the crossbow loaded. As AJ took in his surroundings and began to piece together the bloody massacre, Brett attacked. A struggle ensued. The brothers crashed through the house, destroying furniture and smashing windows in the melee. This commotion woke up Leland, the final brother, who had been sleeping through this whole thing. He came out of his room to find his brother AJ bleeding from a wound on his neck. Leland ran to a neighbor's house and pleaded for them to call the police. As AJ lay dying on the driveway, he had managed to drag himself towards the street. See, Brett went back into the house and grabbed a bottle of water. I guess he must have been parched after all that hard work. <laughs> he sat down on the front porch and he waited for the police to arrive. When they got there, his only words were, They're dead. In the garage. Crossbow to the head. It was me. And that's how this twisted, gruesome tale comes to an end. Lies and deceit led a man to murder his own family with a crossbow. And it's surely one of Toronto's most bizarre homicides. Leland, the only surviving brother, I mean besides Brett, he now suffers from severe anxiety and has difficulty leaving his home. This really was a tragedy. Brett Ryan is currently serving concurrent life sentences in prison for each murder. He will be eligible for parole in 2041 when he will be 60 years old. And that wraps it up for this episode of Six Murders. Thank you for listening. We all truly love and appreciate your support. Be sure to tune in next week when we learn about the Bruce MacArthur murders, perhaps the darkest chapter in Toronto's LGBTQ history. Until next time, cheers, Toronto. Next up, a story with a much happier ending. Imagine receiving a phone call from an unknown number in the middle of a long and hard day. You answer the call and the person on the other end is inviting you to be on one of the biggest shows in Canada. How would you react to that? Chances are you'll either be excited, confused, nervous or you'll feel like Victoria Bokhiran who simply couldn't believe that she got invited to be on Big Brother Canada. Oh my gosh, I was so excited. I was so excited. I was so excited, oh my goodness. I couldn't believe it. I almost thought it was like a prank call for a second. Born and raised in Hamilton, Victoria Bokhiran went on to become one of the popular contestants at the show. She describes her experience as new, exciting, and overall adventurous. So, while you're on the show, you're, um, you don't have any access to internet or a phone. There's no windows. You don't even know what time it is. You're in a house with strangers you've never met before. So it's a completely different reality, something that you've never experienced before. So, um, but for me, I was excited. I was just so excited. I'm a very spontaneous, adventurous um, person. So I feel like something like that really suited my personality. She mentioned being on the show was something that suited her personality. A part of this has something to do with her life growing up. 
Victoria grew up in a child welfare system through foster care. She described foster care as a very tough time for her as she was separated from her family when she was young. She constantly moved from one place to another and went to different schools for her education growing up. Because of this, she felt there was a stigma attached to her and she decided to work in the same child welfare system she grew up in. So before I was on the show, I was really into working with youth and like, you know, like youth who go into foster care and just people who don't have, you know, the best experiences or don't have the same opportunities as their peers. I would love to be able to help them like have access to things that can help them thrive in their world. Like if, you know, maybe they're poor or not living with their parents because they've had to be placed somewhere else or whatever their case may be. Just, you know, help people in my community. She feels her energetic personality and ability to relate with others is well suited for her passion of helping young people. I have very high energy and I listen well and I can give good advice and I just feel like younger people, especially like teenagers who are often harder to work with, I work well with them. So I feel like that's a strength that I could offer. So Her time at Big Brother Canada gained her strong social media presence. She currently has over 14,000 followers on Instagram. Because of that, she feels motivated to try new things and she feels she has more opportunities to do things differently than ever before. I feel like I just have a little more opportunity to do different things now. Like I have a little, like I have more followers on Instagram and like, you know, I have some people who support me a little bit more. You know, I like that people are interested in what I'm doing and, um, you know, it's just something I, I really like. It's not overwhelming. Like I'm not like Beyonce or anything, you know, so it's like a, it's like a smaller amount. So it's like, you know, something that I'm able to handle and keep up with. It's good if you want to get messages across or if you need um, advice on like different places to go or like you need services, like it's easy to find people. Besides all the incredible things she has done so far, Victoria is currently a full-time student at McMaster University in Hamilton. She's doing her master's degree in social work and she's expecting to graduate in May 2022. As a youth advocate, Victoria wants to help youngsters who might be experiencing the same stigma that she did. And her hopes are high about her career in this field after graduation. I feel like a master of social work, especially with the pandemic right now, like a lot of people need support. There's a lot of virtual um, opportunities. I'm excited. And, you know, with social work, you could do a lot of different things. I could work at a school board. I could do therapy. I could work in a hospital. The number of children in the welfare system is increasing every year. According to the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Societies, in the past year, on a monthly average, there were almost 8,700 children in the foster care, and half of them were aged 16 to 20. But people like Victoria Vaughiran really makes a difference. Providing support and care to youngsters who didn't have the best experiences in their lives is one of the kindest way of giving back to the community. For Seneca at York News, I'm Satbir Singh in Toronto. Next up, Canada will compete in the World Cup for the first time since 1986.
Hello and welcome to the Chronicles of Football. This is our third episode, and without any hesitation, let's get right into this week's episode. Alright, so for today's episode, we are going to be talking about the World Cup. Specifically, the World Cup that's happening this year. I know. Um, if you are in tuned with football and international soccer or football uh, in general, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it feels that the World Cup is happening next year. It doesn't feel like it's this year. Um, for the sole fact that this year's World Cup is quite different than all the previous years. Um, usually the World Cup happens in uh, you know, July, August, uh, that two-month period. And during the summer where there's no leagues happening, you know, the season's ended. Um, but this year, because the World Cup is happening in Qatar, uh, the summer months get really hot. So they've placed the, the World Cup at November to December. You know, the start date is the 21st in November. And then the end date is uh, the 18th and the 19th. 18th being, you know, the third and fourth place game. And then the 19th, the final between first and second. Um so it's quite interesting. It's at the end of the year, you know, uh, not really towards the beginning, middle of the year is towards the end. So it really doesn't feel like the World Cups this year. There isn't really any hype usually around this time when the World Cup was happening in 2018, 2014. Um, that you just like on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere, anywhere on social media, you couldn't hide from it. It it it, it was always there. Uh, you would see it, and and now as we're getting closer, you know the the qualifying stages are ending, and we'll talk about the qualifying stages in a minute. Um, you know we'll we're starting to see a little bit more on Twitter, but besides that, it, there's barely any news about it, and which is understandable. There's still, you know, five maybe seven months uh, till the actual World Cup starts in November. But um, what what we're here to talk about today is that if this is your first time watching the world cup obviously it's going to be a little bit different it's not during the summer it's going to be during the winter if you're here in canada not really any warm weather here um during the november december times um <laughs> uh, but what's interesting is how we're going to see the the clubs uh the teams handle this you know like the leagues for example england spain germany france even the mls here in uh canada and the united states uh, you know, with how you're you, like uh, how the World Cup and like international football in general works is that like, for example, the Spanish team take chooses wh what players they want to have on their team. And then obviously the player accepts or denies. Um, so they play for their international league and then they play for their club team, which is, you know, whatever team they play for. Now, for a specific team in general, let's go with Spain, you know, Spain. Uh, a lot of uh, their players play in the country Spain, a little bit in, in the uh, England, a little bit in uh, France, Germany. But the majority of the team's uh, players play in their own country. Now let's take Barcelona, the Barcelona's team uh, in general. Their team is mainly Spanish. So when the World Cup rolls around in November, the league started in September. The leagues don't stop. They they continue through the season, um, especially during the World Cup. And so when the Spanish team calls up the majority of Real Madrid and Barcelona's teams because they're Spanish and they have great players, 
then we'll see a great dynamic in where these coaches and these these high-level teams scramble to find players on their substitutes, on their reserves, to fill in the spots of their stars that had to leave for international football. You know, uh, if we even talk about, like, the English Premier League, Manchester United, you know, they ha- they, don't, they have barely any English players. But, like, for the ones that they do, like Raheem Sterling, you know, uh, Phil Foden, and then, like, if we go, like, some other types of players, you know, they have Kevin De Bruyne for Belgium, uh, their goalkeeper is Brazilian, Allison. So all these players are great players because it's a top team, right? And these players will be leaving for the World Cup. So this great team with great players, Manchester United, Barcelona, Manchester City, they'll all be scrambling to fill in those spots with reserve and substitute players that obviously aren't the same caliber as the the starting players so i feel that this transfer window between july and august this year will be one of the greatest transfer windows we ever see as we'll see big teams scramble to find players that can fill in the shoes of their stars that won't be going to the world cup you know so we'll definitely see a rise in prices for great players like for example uh holland you know an amazing youngster, but his country didn't qualify for the World Cup, so he's not going to the World Cup. And he's been linked to numerous of teams, Manchester City, uh, PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona, you know, and he wants to leave his team, Dortmund, which is in the German league. Um, And so we'll definitely see a fight over him, and we'll see, I guarantee we'll see an enormous price tag on him as Dortmund would try to see, like, will try to get as much money out of any team that goes for him this year, especially if it's a big team, um, which it will be because he's a great player. Uh, the The thing is, is that they will try to get the most money because they know that these teams are going to be desperate when November, December rolls around. And so we, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Holland go for two, maybe even three hundred, three hundred fifty million dollars this summer. It's it's a crazy fact that is a reality, and um, we will see. We will probably see that absurd amount of money. But nevertheless, after my tangent, we're here to talk about Canada and Canada's World Cup. The last time Canada was actually in the World Cup was in 1986, nearly 30 years ago, if not actually over 30 years ago. And it's quite interesting to me that like Canada isn't a footballing country you know we got hockey baseball basketball and that's about the extent of it it's only recently we've had breakthrough players like Anthony David or Alfonso Davies Um, there's there's a lot of these little players that make it through the seams and you know break through to Europe and uh, Asia and South America and uh, they make a name for themselves which is great but as a country, as a whole, we're not known as a footballing nation. And I think that this World Cup, we can prove it. In the qualifying stages in North America, uh, we, we went up against you know Mexico, uh, United States, uh, Ecuador, and some other countries. And honestly, I had 
if I'm transparent, I had no hope when we went up against Mexico and the United States for the first time uh, this uh, qualifying stage because I genuinely see them as a better player, a uh, better team, I should say. Sorry. Um, but we proved to them that we don't only have one, two, maybe three good players, but our team is good, you know? And we, we definitely proved that with only one loss this entire qualifying stage we out of all the games we played we only lost one and we won every single other game uh we were undefeated except for the second last game which is unfortunate but we still made a name for ourselves uh and we are you know we're qualified for the world cup we are we're going this year and it's a great thing to be able to support the country that i've been born in uh and I feel that we can definitely, definitely make a name for ourselves. Now, this past Friday, uh, the group stage for the World Cup uh, was announced. So what teams are going to be versing what teams in the group stage? And Canada was drawn in Group F, which is Belgium, Morocco, Croatia, and obviously Canada. Um, it's it's a definitely it's a tough group. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I was on Twitter on Friday trying to find out what uh, the groups were, and this one guy was like 30 minutes early uh, to the actual uh, drawing, and he like posted this like very legit picture, and I was like, no way. It was a really easy group. It was like Saudi Arabia. Uh, I think it was Argentina. Morocco and Canada and I was like if it's like that definitely Canada will be going second in the group and will make it out of the group stage under Argentina but unfortunately it wasn't true and when the group stages got announced we got put in Belgium Morocco and uh, Croatia I mean they got Morocco right um, but the other the other hand is I definitely can see Canada putting up a fight in this it will be a definitely it will be a tough group to be beat uh, Belgium with the likes of like Lukaku, uh, Courtois, uh, De Bruyne, you know, just endless names, Eden Hazard, you know, just endless ballers, endless people that have the skill um, in Belgium. Croatia as well, you know, Modric, the, he's won a Ballon d'Or a few years ago. It, it's, it's definitely a tough group, but I feel that Canada will definitely get the best of Morocco. My predictions is Croatia will be a tough game, but I think if we keep what we've done over the group stage with Croatia, we can definitely come up on top. Um, with Belgium, that's a tough one. Belgium's got great players. It's a great uh, institution, great great uh, foundation in their, their playing style. But uh, over the past year, they've had some struggles with fitness and a lot of their top players have been injured. And if injuries continue, I can definitely see Canada coming up on top. I, If there is any loss for Canada this World Cup, it will not be an easy one for the other team. They will definitely put up a fight, especially how they play. Um, I don't see them uh, losing 3-0, 4-0. I, I see this type of you know, fight in this team that I've never seen before. And I've watched a lot of international soccer or football uh, throughout the years. And uh, this is definitely something that they've worked on for a long time. 
Alright, this has been this week's episode. Once again, thank you for listening. Make sure you tune in next week as we're going to be talking about the Champions League semi and quarterfinals. So, make sure you stay tuned in. Once again, thank you and have a great week. That's Discovery for this week. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to hear more Seneca student podcasts, you can go to SenecaJournalism.ca. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.